So this is, uh, this is about this girl. Um, she's 14. Just, uh, yeah, just listen to this for a minute. Ashley is her name. She's on her way to the local mall. Um, her mother drops her off by the Sears entrance. She walks briskly through tools, lawn and garden, as well as kids' apparel, noticing nothing. In fact, no one seems to notice her either. She's not approached or greeted by any salesperson. The store seems empty. Just then, her phone rings. It's her friends. Everyone is waiting for her at the food court. She picks up the pace as she runs through the men's apparel, jewelry, and finally bedding. She is relieved as she catches a glimpse of her friends through the crowd in the interior of the mall. She's looking forward to a good time shopping with, with them. As she nears the food court, she's distracted by all the cool outfits displayed in the windows of stores like American Eagle and Abercrombie and & Fitch and J. Crew. Anyway, it's, uh, that's the beginning of, a, of an article that I was reading about Sears, the store, the company that uh, pretty much is dead or dying for sure. It's on its last legs and uh, kind of for that reason, um, the kid's just walking through this empty, largely empty store that was kind of happening, I guess, everywhere. Um, this article was pretty interesting. Um, it's actually, if it was in a business magazine, um, and it talked a little bit about the, the history of the company, Sears. Uh, I didn't realize they were as old as they were, but they went back, they began in the 1890s, and back then they were only, um, they were a, a mail order company. That's pretty much all they did, which was the, a lot of, if you're old enough, you remember the, the Sears catalog, that's really kind of where it all began. And then in the 20s, uh, they started opening up retail stores. And they both, both ends exploded. They just were um, incredibly successful. Um, they said in this article, they said between the 1950s and the 1980s, they were the, the biggest retailer uh, in the country. Um, really, really successful. They were, in, the, in this article, they were described as a, a combination of uh, Amazon and Walmart. And they were winning in both ends, like the you know, sort of at-home shopping thing, you know, obviously pre-internet catalog and then just building the stores kind of like Walmart so uh, they were huge and now they're now they're dead um, now they're going out of business and this article what they really talked about was kind of the reasons why and they gave a number of uh, kind of technical business reasons a lot of which I didn't quite understand but the, the the first and the primary reason why they eventually kind of went went south is because of uh, they just diversified too much. When they began, and for, and for many years, for the majority of their history, they were kind of like a, more of like a guy's store, right? You know, you'd go to Sears to buy tools and lawnmowers and snowblowers and things like that, most of the time. But then about 30 years ago, um, they decided to open up, get into fashion, women's fashion in particular. And that just never took off. In fact, they say it kind of, it kind of, it's what did them in. Um, I mean, think about it. You go, to, you go to Sears to buy a weed whacker, you know, not a dress, at least I think most people. You just, you're not thinking of high fashion when you're talking Sears. You're thinking tools. 
washers and dryers. Um, so it was kind of a, an experiment that just failed. And they also bought uh, Kmart, which was kind of not doing well at the, also. So they now became these two giant sort of declining companies that just got worse and worse. Um, but I was thinking about kind of the mistake they made. And in, in, in a sense, could it, was it this? Like, they kind of forgot what their purpose was. They forgot kind of their mission. I mean, they, for, for 70 years, they were all about the stuff I mentioned. They weren't, they weren't, it was like they kind of knew what they knew what they were. They knew what they knew what they were about. They knew what, what success was. They knew why people went to them. And then they started looking in other directions. And that's kind of when they, they ran into trouble. Um, they kind of became something else. According to this article, it was really the beginning of the end. It was their downfall. When we become something else. Like when we forget our mission or our purpose. And I'm not just talking business. For sure, I, it's the case with business. But I mean, listen again to this. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And they made her stand in the middle. They said to him, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? I think that's kind of sickening, that description of what these religious people were like. I mean, it was the, the video we just saw. Who were the ones who dragged this woman before Jesus? They were religious people. Religion was responsible for that. And it was ugly. It was terrible. I mean, listen to this. They, she, they, they say that uh, she was caught in the very act of committing adultery. I mean, what does that mean? Were they, like, watching? Were they, you know, s s s looking to catch her? I mean, it's awful. And this was, like, church people? Not church, but religious people? Like, we've got to get her. Well, you know why? The reason they were looking to get her, because they wanted to get him. And the thinking was, okay, if we can, we can parade her up in front, and we know she's guilty, he's going to have to answer, he's going to have to say something. And it was one of these typical, like, no-win questions. So, like, we'll, we'll sacrifice her in order to get to him. And that's religion? We do that in the name of God? I mean, that's awful. And then it says, and they made her stand in the middle they made her stand in the middle. Like we're going to humiliate her. We're going to shame her. Well, if that's religion, I mean, you can have it. And I think there are more than a few people out there for whom like that kind of was or something of a variation of this was their experience of religion. And that's why they have nothing to do with it. They're like, this is terrible. This is the way you treat people? This is somehow God connected? No way. And if it is, then I'm, I don't want anything to do with it. I think often religion forgets its mission. Religion forgets its purpose. 
It's kind of like Sears. They forgot who they were. And they went off in like foolish directions. And religion can do it in far more significantly troubling ways. When we forget our mission, and when we're looking to catch people in the act of committing adultery, and then when we put them up in front of people and humiliate and shame. Hey, when religion becomes that video, that's hateable. And it's kind of gross. And it's not what he intended. Read this, I thought, pretty interesting quote from uh, Bono, from U2. And he, uh, he has an interesting relationship with church and faith. He's a very faithful guy, talks openly about his Christian faith. He's less of a, of a church guy. Um, listen to what he says here about religion. I often wonder if religion is the enemy of God. It's almost like religion is what happens when God has left the building. Like when God is taken out of the equation, according to Bono, you get religion. Well, that's an interesting quote. I don't, I don't think he's completely right, but I think there's something to what he said. I don't, I don't think religion is the enemy of God. But sometimes religion gets in the way of God. And it's terrible when that happens. That video, that scene, this gospel, well, that's what happened. Religion got in the way of God. Jesus corrects it. But religion got in the way. I think when religion abuses power and shames people, and when it's self-serving and when it's arrogant, it becomes this gospel. And that's terrible. It's intolerable. That aspect of church, when it expresses itself, I can't stand that church. What that aspect of religion looks like. It's hard to love that, isn't it? It's impossible to love that. But then I think about other aspects of religion. I think about people in this parish who on Sundays bring communion to the different nursing homes here in town. These great people who bring, literally bring Jesus to these objectively sort of sad places, these tough places where there's a lot of loneliness. And they bring light and they bring hope. And that's the church. And that's religion. Or I think about religion teachers, catechists, who will sit and put a, a lesson together and then share their faith, their love of Jesus with kids. And they don't get a nickel for it. But they do it. Or I think next door, I think of the kitchen next door in the hall and all the people that are fed by that kitchen. People just who have a little bit less or maybe a lot less 
and the church is there, religion is there for them. I think about this place on days when there's a funeral and there are just grieving, hurting people. Broken hearts are out of all over the, this room. And this is the only place to be. This is the only place where you get some degree of hope. Doesn't take it all away, doesn't take all the pain away, but it helps because there's hope here. Well, that's all religion too. It's interesting, it's sort of like we can, it's easy to hate aspects of it and it's easy to love aspects of it. It's almost, it's kind of like schizophrenic. How can you kind of hate and love the same thing? Well, I think we do. I think we do that a lot. Think about your family. <laughs> think about aspects of your family that are like, oh, it's so difficult. Certain people, certain aspects of, of a particular family that are, that are not healthy. And it's close to intolerable. But I'm also conflicted because I, I love these people. I'm not happy with the way we are, parts of the way we are, and I'm not happy with certain people. But I never walk away from them. I never deny my relation to them. Kind of love them and hate them at the same time. I had this interesting conversation this past week. I was at the dentist. And uh, at the end of being there, my dentist was telling me about this trip he had gone on in February. He and his family went to Paris for about six days, I think. Uh, a couple of his kids who were in high school and, uh, and his wife and himself. They went to Paris, but he didn't tell me about Paris. He told me about Normandy, where D-Day happened. And he just said it was like the trip of, a, of his life. He said it was like, he'll never forget it. He was getting choked up as he was telling me about it. They spent two days in Normandy. They stayed at a bed and breakfast, an incredible tour. You know, in a, in a general sense, he knew about that place and what happened there, but this tour just brought it, tour guide brought it to life. That great generation and the sacrifice and how we kind of, you know, saved the world in a sense. And he said he was just, he was so glad his kids were witnessing this. He was so grateful, he was so proud of like being American and, a, and, a, and, a, and, of, and of who we are as a people. And he was so grateful. And so am I. It's like, I almost bought a plane ticket that night to go to, I, I got to go to Normandy. It's like, I've always kind of wanted to go. After hearing this guy, it's like, I am going for the reasons he described. Because I'm all over that. I mean, I love this country. And this is a great country. But, how many of you saw the movie uh, The Green Book? Won the Academy Award this year for Best Picture. And it was a real good movie. It was about the, the, the 1960s in the South. Well, that wasn't something to be proud of. And that is part of who we are. This true story about this musician, black musician, who goes on tour in the South. And just the treatment, the racism that he encountered was like, you, could, you can't believe it. How could it have only been 50 years ago? How could we have ever been that way? 
And this is the same country that, that stormed those beaches in France. So it's like, I mean, you can, you can kind of love it and hate it almost at the same time. It's amazing and it's shameful almost at the same time. And I don't think this isn't just about countries and companies and, and churches. It is about all of those. Because they're all guilty of that. They're all this gospel. But I think it's also something for us to think about ourselves as individuals. Because we do the same thing. Like we become seers. We forget who we are. We forget what our mission is, what our purpose is. We forget like, man, wh why am I here? What does God want of me? Am I kind of on track to what I think he is hoping for me? Because there is a plan. There is a mission for each one of us. Am I tracking it? Am I on it? Am I even considering it? Or am I diversifying? You know, I'm over here and I'm over there, and I shouldn't be in either of those places. I ought to be about my mission. It's like the couple who, who made promises to each other years ago. Vows. And now, years later, they're like, they're not breaking them so much, but they're just about keeping them. They're just, they're mailing it in. It's so minimal. It's so not what it was 40 years before on the day they were married. It's like, how did I get this way? This isn't, this isn't the way we were, and it's not the way we should be, or I should be. I think that's also what this gospel speaks to. Or it's a 16-year-old kid who has forgotten the sacrifice of his parents and all that his or her parents do for them. And he's lost sight of that. And he's got like a 24-7 attitude toward them. And he's, he's, he's diversified in stupid ways, in unacceptable ways. That kid has forgotten his mission. So what's, what's, the, what's the reason for Lent? You know, of course it's, it's getting ready, it's, it gets us ready for Easter. It gets us ready for Good Friday and then ultimately Easter. Yeah, it's about getting ready for the most important thing we believe in as Christians. Of course it's about that. And it's about sacrificing. It's traditions and rule, all of this stuff is part of it. How about this? How about Lent is another thing Lent should be for and about? It's this. I don't want to become seers. I don't want my life to go the, the way of seers. I don't want to forget who I'm supposed to be. So I guess it's about everything. It's about countries and churches and companies and ourselves. I often wonder if religion is the enemy of God. It's almost like religion is what happens when God has left the building. So let's fix religion so he remains in the building. <laughs>